Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering menu, food, and drink for both brands. My guest today is Liz Moscow, food futurist and trendologist. Liz currently serves as VP of Brand Development for Next Bite, a company that develops virtual restaurant brands and solutions. NextBite helps restaurants leverage dark assets, such as unused kitchen space, labor, and expertise to build incremental revenue. As a futurist, Liz sees the virtual brand trend continuing, as well as a trend she calls Comfort Plus. Listen as she explains how chefs and operators can expand on consumers' love of comfort food and take it to the next level and as she identifies which of those trends that emerged in the last year will continue to be relevant. Welcome, Liz. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Pat. So let's start by you telling me a little bit about your career path to get to the position you now hold as a futurist and trendologist. Yeah, um, it is a little bit of an unusual title. Um, I think it started because I've always been a little bit ahead of my time. Um, I started my career as a chef, graduating from Culinary Institute of America. And at that time, um, celebrity chefdom was in its infancy. You, you had Emeril had a show on the Emerging Food Network. You had Bobby Flay, and they were just starting to see their celebrity status rise. Um, Also, there weren't a lot of women yet um, attending classes at CIA. And so I do feel like that culinary background um, put put me in this perspective of understanding that um, careers in the culinary industry were something about a wave of the future. From there, uh, I, I went through my career pursuing other sort of before their time passions So it was a pattern emerging here. I would see things that were a little bit before their time and just sort of explore my interest in that and then turn it into a career. So for example, my next foray was in the yoga teaching world before the core power yogas and the the franchise yoga uh, businesses were a thing. Um, And sort of, it's just part of me, right? I've always had an interest in things that were a bit different, a bit out there. Um, I've had a knack for ideation and building. I was a a, a several-time entrepreneur. I've owned my own restaurant, my own yoga studio. I've had a CPG business and beauty. Um, And then I just started applying all of that knowledge from my background of experience into consulting and advising, uh, marketing, brand building, guiding companies big and small to what their next new product was, what their next brand was, what an emerging flavor profile was. Um, And then you sort of pair that with um, my upbringing, which was also a little bit non-traditional. I grew up in New York. My father was a holistic health practitioner before his time. Um, He was doing acupuncture back in the 70s and 80s um, and was very open to Eastern health philosophies, herbs, supplements, natural and organic products way back when. And so if you understand where food trends or, or trends in general come from um, historically and also emerging now, especially in the food space, they come from two areas. Um, One traditionally being upscale food service restaurants. It was very chef driven. What's the hot thing coming out of restaurants? Uh, Think of things like the cronut or even way back when lava cakes came out of fine dining and trickled their way down into CPG products, right? Right. But but more recently, more excitingly in this natural and organic space, 
the drive to find things that are going to help people live longer and uh, healthier lives, whether it's an ingredient or a, a method of eating or a food tribe or an avoidance of allergies is driving food trends today. So sort of this unique experience that I live in sort of the polarity of understanding what's coming down from food service at a top level from Sheptum to understanding what's bubbling up from natural and organic puts me in this unique perspective and this unique position to, to really have a perspective of what's next. Ooh. And so I put that to work and uh, I, I do a bit of writing and predicting of what food trends are, uh, public speaking as well. And uh, that that's that put me uh, on the map as a food futurist and a food trendologist. Very cool. You sound like a real Renaissance woman. <laughs> it used to sound like I was a little little bit had ADD, but it all sort of came together throughout the trajectory of my career. So, what is Next Bite's role in the restaurant industry, and how does it play out? Yeah, a lot of people ask me what took you from you know food futurist, uh, trendologist, writing and uh, into Next Bite, and why was it interesting to you? And, Next Bite is to me the future of food and restaurants. And so I wanted to be in that space. Next Bite, what it does is it creates virtual kitchen concepts that leverage dark assets in existing restaurants. And by dark assets, I mean areas that are already being paid for, labor, fixed assets, space in the cooler that's not being used, and allows restaurants to make more money doing what they already do using their existing labor. So we create concepts that, that, that work in synergy with um, the restaurant's operation, but doesn't cannibalize their current brands. And then we help them market and put it on the OOS, online ordering systems, whether it's Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and sell literally out the back door, which gives them this incremental revenue flow. Um, and it's been really popular, not only just for the pandemic, but restaurants even before the pandemic. And now we're looking how to squeeze more out of these rising costs and make more money. Right. And the labor challenge is really huge now, too. Um, how is that affecting what you do? Yeah, um, it, it, it depends on the restaurant we are working with. Right. So some of the restaurants, um, it, it, it's helping keep people busy. Um, helping to pay them more and therefore they can retain the labor because now they're making more money. Um, but also like, like other restaurants, if you can't find the bodies to help make what, whichever concept you're focused on, whether it's the one going on the delivery platforms or the one going out your front door, um, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And uh, I'm hoping that uh, resolves itself soon. It's, it's really devastating to the restaurant business. Yeah, we're all on that page for sure. Yeah. So what are some of the pandemic pivots restaurants and other food service operators made over the last year that have the potential to become long lasting? I imagine you think that virtual brands or ghost kitchens are definitely one of them. <laughs> yeah, um, I would like to draw a distinction between virtual brands and ghost kitchens. So for us at Next Bite, virtual uh, brands help restaurants succeed. Mm -hmm. Ghost, ghost concepts and ghost kitchens actually are restaurants that compete against restaurants, right? Um, and so where I really feel the pandemic pivots for restaurants that would be successful and long lasting is taking on ways like virtual concepts into their operation to leverage their dark assets to make more money, obviously, mm -hmm. but also selling incremental items that they can add on to delivery. So I know during the pandemic, 
even myself would do some writing about how restaurants can make more money. And one of the ways was people, they were implementing, um, you know, sort of a uh, bodega model for their delivery. What else can we deliver to our consumers that is it going to be one delivery? We're already coming. We can stock for them that they can't necessarily get on their own. So it's that selling of incremental items to add on to delivery. Even DoorDash, for example, you can add on a pint of ice cream when you order your Chinese food from your local store or from a virtual concept. So it's getting creative with ways that they can build their basket size, whether that's in house, like at the table, what else can we do? Can we then add them a dessert to go to take home? Can we offer something that they can heat up in the morning for breakfast? It's really getting creative with their offerings. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I would say experience, adding experiential elements. Um, and so, and obviously in, in restaurant, it's been more difficult to add those elements of service because of COVID and because of the labor shortage. It's we're sort of missing out a little bit on the service touch points, but what could they add back in in person to let the consumer still feel like they're being well taken care of? The same uh, translates to home. So a next bite we like to think about, what could we do other than just deliver food? And we, we, what we really aim to do is deliver an experience at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you think about before the pandemic, uh, movie theater attendance was going down because the home theater experience had gotten so good. So we really aim to create that similar trajectory with the home dining experience by adding things um, to our concepts that make it feel like a well-rounded concept rather than just food delivery. Right. Well, there were a lot of chef-led Zoom demos um, during the pandemic and you know, um, online classes to by mixologists. Is that something you see continuing then? Those are kind of experiences you can have at home. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, as I alluded to, what kind of value added products can restaurants layer on to their offerings? Those absolutely would be some of those things, right? Perhaps you come in for dinner on site on premise and you order a beautiful dinner with wine, it's delicious. Perhaps restaurants can then also offer, um, hey, you could log in to this site, they create content, they do a home pairing, they'll deliver the food next time, and you can connect with Drizzly to get these specific bottles of wine. So what could they add um, with their expertise in-house and layer that on? So yeah, I totally think that's going to continue and find interesting new ways to express itself as well. I've also noticed a lot of restaurants streamlining their menus and cutting back on menus. I mean, part of it is attributed to the labor challenge, but part of it is that they're just focusing on the things that they do best and that that are the best sellers, I guess. Are you seeing that too? We're seeing that in restaurant and also virtually, yes, of course. Um, I do believe a lot of it is um, streamlining their operations and making sure that they can provide the fresh, fresh experience and the best experience with the items that sell the best. Um, I, I don't see that expanding anytime soon, sort of that Greek diner philosophy of giving a lot of options that are okay. Um, doesn't meet the demand of today's consumer. You know, they are demanding things that are upscale, delicious, over the top, and you can't do that across a large swath of a menu. Right. Do you see any packaging innovations coming down the pike? I know there's been a real packaging shortage as well during 
the last few months as more and more people did take out in delivery? Yeah, packaging is really going to need to level up um, in, in several ways. Obviously, sustainability. Consumers are very uh, aware and sensitive to throwing away tons of packaging. We saw this with a lot of the meal delivery kits. It was the biggest complaint of a blue apron, right? That I'm getting so much packaging and it just feels wrong to throw this all away. Same thing in the delivery space. And so it's been sort of an interesting race to create products that both um, are compostable. And then at the other side of that polarity also maintain food uh, integrity during delivery. So they need to be sturdy. And these are often at polar opposites, right? Of, of, of the sort of successful packaging spectrum, um, you know, things. And then, and then thinking outside the box, no pun intended, things like uh, mason jars made out of glass, which are more sustainable, but also heavier. So Right, so, so it costs more to ship those. There's a larger carbon footprint, but also in the short-term delivery space, you're asking an Uber Eats driver to deliver ten salads in mason jars. It's extremely heavy, and then yeah, and then perhaps they drop it and it breaks. And so there's a lot of things. Um, and then heat retention and cold retention. So as we try to deliver things. Um, uh, quickly that have meltability, ice creams, the shakes, the acai bowls of the world, right? Going to need to find better ways to keep those insulated, but then also keep hot food hot or provide this sort of delivery to oven optionality so that they can easily be heated and not have to do that with too much fuss and, and, and transferring of bowls and packaging. So it's a lot of things to consider in this packaging space. And there are many companies going after different um, angles of this problem. Yeah, I can't wait to see what evolves from that. Yeah. Um, and then there's the supply chain challenges that a lot of operators are facing now. I mean, aside, um, I know that you focus on organic and natural foods, but there seems to be like a lack of the basic commodities now. I mean, it seems like meat is scarce, seafood is scarce. Um, how are you addressing this problem or do you have any suggestions for how operators can address these challenges? Yeah, um, I always lean into my own innovation and create creative mind when I'm when I'm hit with these sort of problems rather than, uh, you know, operators have a lot to worry about these days, right? You've alluded to a lot of them. It's consumers aren't showing up, they're worried about getting COVID, they don't have enough labor, uh, they're, they're faced with these big problems of their restaurant and their livelihood shutting down. Uh, but, but what that serves to do is, is create anxiety that shuts down their creative thinking, right? So what I, what I keep suggesting to some of the people that I speak to in the industry is put all that aside for a moment. And, and the reason you became a chef or a chef owner or, or rub elbows with your chef on a daily basis if you're a restaurant owner is they're creative people. They think outside the box. Mm -hmm. um, the, more, the more we move into sort of this food um, show mentality, right? So that's objectifying food on all sorts of media, whether it's TikTok or television. Um, people understand that you can play with food and they give you this license to change things and even change the definition, for example, of what milk is, right? Like um, that whole debacle between is almond milk milk and how do you call it milk? It's, I believe on a whole is it's innovation and innovative thinking and creativity is the key here. So rather than focusing on the supply chain constraints and 
look what Wingstop did, right? They can't get chicken wings and they're a Wingstop, they're a chicken wing business, right? They had a whole very creative campaign related to chicken buys, right? So who, who says it has to be chicken wings, right? <laughs> it could be chicken thighs, it could be cauliflower wings. So look, think about ways to think outside the box and substitute ingredients because going back eons, that's what chefs are for, to take things, who, who I'll, I'll pose this, who decided you could eat the first lobster, right? Like somebody looked at that and said, I can eat that. And then somebody said, I could not only eat that, I could make that delicious. So I think we need to apply that kind of thinking back to the constraints in the supply chain and, and see what comes from that. And that's what I'm really excited to see. Um, and I think the successful restaurants and the sec successful product companies are the ones that look at it that way and don't focus so much on the constraints. Definitely. And how do you think uh, chefs and restaurateurs should plan menus for the remainder of 2021? Are there certain trends that you're tracking that are important to include? Yeah, I, I think they need to approach it as fluidly as possible with as much, must, much creativity as possible. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the trends I would say they need to continue uh, leaning into is pandemic. Um, obviously, when people are scared, they want the comfort food. You and I have been seeing people write about comfort is the new trend. Um, but emerging from um, the pandemic, I think we're not so much going to get those food trends that are life-changing or crazy or seem, seem really out, outside the box, more so grounded in comfort. So to me, it's that coming out of our shell. It's, you know, early spring and it's been a long winter and hey, we still need to eat. So we still need to feel comfortable about this. What can we layer on to comfort food to start to explore again? Right. So it's, I call it comfort plus, right. It's, it's grounding yourself in something familiar, but then maybe adding a different spice or a different herb or a different global cuisine twist. Um, and we're focusing a lot on that at Next Bite where we're, you know, taking comfort foods, for example, like a fried rice and twisting what it might look like in a more trend forward way. Right now we're testing something called breakfast fried rice, for example, like, like, like same elements, right? Egg has always been in fried rice. Right. There's some sort of pork product. Why can't it be bacon or sausage? So thinking of it that way, taking familiar favorites, putting a spin on them and making them exciting again for the people who are willing to get outside their box, but not too far outside their box. Right. Well, I've also seen some um, concern, you know, or some movement towards wanting immune boosting foods. And, you know, that sort of fits in with your experience in the natural and organic food um, space. Do you, yeah. have you noticed that as well? That, I mean, consumers definitely still want comfort foods, but they're also leaning into these, you know, healthier immune boosting foods after yeah. the pandemic. I, I, what I've been noticing is yes, both, not together. So they're, they're wanting those comfort foods that are exciting and soothing, something that might not be good for them, something they feel they deserve or need. And then on different days or different day parts, they feel like being good and doing something um, self-care health-wise. And then they look at self-care um, comfort-wise is separate, but they both exist. So turmeric is still popular, vitamin C and zinc, um, uh, the familiar ingredients that people understand to stave off illness, 
Um, even things like chicken soup has seen a resurgence in different and exciting ways, specifically in the Asian category, right? How do you leverage the natural vitamin C in chicken broth and make it more exciting? Um, the functional beverages are still hot um, uh, and people are, are embracing juices and smoothies and acai bowls still, even though those were trends that were ushered in five, six, eight years ago. Right. And how about uh, the plant forward or plant-based movement? How do you see that evolving as we move into 2022? That has no signs of stopping. Um, uh, really exciting advancements in the plant-based movement, anything from the cell agriculture, that's real meat, but not using animal, to um, different kinds of faux meats and meat analogs, whether it's faux pork, faux seafood, faux crab, faux um, tuna. And we're seeing it just sort of really expand past that burger analog. Um, and it's, it's, it's really quite interesting. Um, what I find the most interesting is sort of the, the vegetable for uh, the plant-based vegetable at the center of the plate. So not necessarily trying to create that meat analog, but how do you shift the focus and provide that umami flavoring that meat provides to vegetables? And we're doing some exploration um, of that as well. Uh, with, with some of the with some of the plant commodity boards with, that we're launching concepts with, with um, some of our own house concepts that we're playing with. And then we're also doing a lot of work in positioning um, plant-based. So what I mean by that is we have several uh, vegan and or vegetarian and or flexitarian burger concepts launching at Next Bite that are positioned to target different types of people who eat plant-based in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. Not every plant-based consumer is the same. You have your vegans, right? Who will not eat animal products. You have flexitarians. And to us, that's the most interesting space. It's people aren't drawing a line in the sand necessarily of I will not eat meat, but they want to eat it less often. Mm -hmm. And that might not just mean I gave it up for Lent, for example, or I'm practicing meatless Monday. That could mean in any given dish. We just launched a concept called Vegilicious, that is targeted to the flex con, flexitarian consumer that has, you know, our philosophy is it's a plant-based meat analog patty and it comes with plant-based bacon, but we also give the optionality to use regular cheese. It's a non-vegan bun and it comes with real bacon if you want, right? So consumers want this optionality in deciding how much meat is enough meat for them at any given moment. And that's a really interesting place to play. Right. I'm all for like putting vegetables in the center of the plate and making them the star. So as far as, um, you know, as we move into 2022, I know in the past you've predicted, you know, some trends that we will see. Um, it might be a little early to talk about those predictions now, but mm -hmm. are you seeing anything that will take hold in 2022 that you're excited about? It's an interesting question. And, and you know, for the folks out there who don't know, sometimes you get some talking points about what the podcast is going to say. And I've been giving this a lot of thought as a trendologist and a futurist, because I know you want to have like one or two uh, like predictions from me. But, but the real answer is it, it really depends on the trajectory of the pandemic. Right. If, if, if what 2020 and 2021 told us continues to be true, we know that food trends are very much driven by what happens in both the fine dining space, as I alluded to before, and the natural and organic space, right? Mm -hmm. 
once both of these industries start seeing success and movement again and overcoming some of the many headwinds, uh, trends will emerge, new ones, right? Um, if we have another dark winter, we go back into our homes and COVID resurges, and what we'll, we will see more of, um, and maybe this is where we can put the, the stake in the ground, is um, we will see more comfort food exploration. Um, the next bite is focused on the innovation excitement of how to create in this comfort plus space. Um, but from an excitement angle and from a better for you comfort angle, I, I nothing is super clear right now to me. And I'm okay with saying that, um, even though, you know, as someone who's, whose career is based on being a futurist, I, nothing has crystallized for me right now. I could give you some obscure ingredient or, 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 or tell you, you know, zinc plus vitamin C, we're going to see that, but I can't, I can't, I just can't, I, I just don't see it. Nothing's come clear to me yet. Well, that's very, that's a good, honest answer because I think, I think people rely on these trends too much and then they don't pan out, you know, and, yeah. or, you know, things like a pandemic get in the way. So, yeah. um, no, I totally agree with you. So do you think we'll see more of the same? Um, you know, I, I mean, I love the comfort plus idea and I think that's always going to be on trend. But as far as, um, you know, some of the things that emerged during the pandemic, like bottled cocktails or, you know, very specific ideas, um, more bowl food. I've just yeah. seen many bowls around. Um, a lot of bowls. <laughs> You're right. There are a lot of bowls. A lot of the things that, that trended came from the need to deliver out of the pandemic, right? Batch cocktails right. or something that a restaurant could offer for delivery at home, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, um, what I what I can say is, um, I'd be very excited to see um, some of our new on-trend brands in the better for you comfort space, which we're creating. Um, so uh, to bowl, <laughs> it's a Mediterranean bowl concept, but right. also what we did there to make it more exciting is we also created a new category of pizza. So if you combine like pitas um, and, and sort of like that Mediterranean pita, if you open up a pita, you basically have a pizza. So it's like a new way of eating pizza that's a little bit healthier was creating a pizza category out of Mediterranean food. So we have a brand called Zaza. That's just that. It's a hummus slathered giant pizza crust that has all delicious, healthy Mediterranean diet toppings on top. So I see more of that happening, more innovation and form changes for 2021, 22 for delivery. So it's not just a bowl. There's more exciting things, again, familiar ingredients, um, in different format. And as far as uh, personally and professionally, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Yeah, uh, I, I, well, I'm hoping that this COVID nonsense is, nonsense is behind us. Um, most, most, first and foremost. Um, but uh, it's a really exciting time for restaurants, even though they are facing a lot of um, challenges. And again, I, what I'm looking most forward to is to seeing how they take these challenges and turn them into interesting opportunities that then turn into the trends of 2022 and 2023 that I can then predict again with clarity. So I, I it, you know, from, from challenge comes opportunity and I just really celebrate the people who are thinking that way. So Liz, thanks so much for sharing your ideas and giving us a glimpse into the future. 
Please join us for another episode of Menu Feed as we explore more food and drink trends. Like past episodes, this one is available to download on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. (music) 